Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and today on this edition of This Week in Business History, we are focused on the week of November 30th. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to share an experience from earlier this week. A dear friend of mine of the show is Jenny Froome, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Jenny serves as COO of SAPIX, a professional association that is striving to build a vital community of educated supply chain professionals across Africa. And they're doing big things and building a global community while doing so. Last week, Greg White and I spoke at a virtual SAPIX conference where we shared some of the key takeaways that we've had from this historically challenging year. In prepping for my comments, I came across an excellent point made by my friend Ramatu Abdul Qadir, the CEO of Health Supplies Management Agency based in Kaduna, Nigeria. On a live stream with us a few months back, Ramatu stated, quote, we have the power to reinvent ourselves and our business, which is critical for the times that we find ourselves in, end quote. How very true. Before our very eyes this year, we've seen global supply chains, retailers, schools, you name it, all reinvent their operations. We've heard this buzzword agility for so many years, but a business that possessed agility in 2020 was certainly in much better position to adapt and even thrive in this environment. And just what is the alternative? For many, it's not very appealing. Let's just ask companies like Pier One, Earth Fair, Sweet Tomatoes, and thousands of other companies that have gone out of business due to their inability to improvise, execute, and overcome. Hey, very well stated, Ramatu. I'll be sure to include a link for our audience to connect with her in the comments of today's episode. Back to today's show, this week in business history. Today, we're breaking the rules just a bit. Over the weekend, we lost a global business leader that was a trailblazer, and he and his company had a big impact on my point of view early in my career. Yes, Tony Shea, who was a co-founder at Zappos and served as its transformational CEO. He passed away unexpectedly on Friday, November 27th, 2020. We'll be diving into his story and just what was so special about his organization. At the end of the podcast, we'll also offer our listeners an opportunity to earn a free copy of Tony Shea's popular book, Delivering Happiness. Stay tuned, and thanks again for joining us here on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. Tony Shea was born to Taiwanese immigrants 
Richard and Judy Shea in Illinois on December 12, 1973. Just five years later, the Shea family would move to the Lucas Valley area of California, just northwest of San Francisco Bay. Richard Shea was a chemical engineer and worked for Chevron, and Judy Shea was a social worker. A few years later, when Tony was nine years old, he hatched what was perhaps his first entrepreneurial idea. He convinced his parents to pay $33 for a box of earthworms, maybe his first successful pitch. Tony's plan was to create a worm farm in the backyard and then sell worms to the public. Despite his best efforts at constructing an effective worm pen, all of his inventory got away after a few weeks. So his first startup was a failure, but Tony Shea would more than make up for it, for sure. Richard and Judy Shea took a disciplined approach to raising Tony. He was allowed one hour of TV a week. They expected straight A's. Tony was required to take music lessons. He chose the piano and violin, and they started to prep him for the SAT in sixth grade. As a young teenager, Tony Shea would have a big eureka moment. He'd come across a magazine ad for a kit that made photo buttons. If you remember the ones that in the 1980s everyone would pin to their denim jean jackets, right? But Tony would have to pitch his parents to spring for the $50 for the photo button kit. They did, and this time the business was a resounding success. Tony would advertise his photo button production service, and in due time he was making $200 a month. More importantly, Tony Shea would say that it was this small venture that taught him a key lesson, that he could run a successful enterprise without face-to-face -face interaction. That lesson learned just might come in handy in a few years for Tony Shea. In high school, Tony lived in the computer lab. He had taken a strong liking to computer programming. Ever the enterprising young man, he'd begin programming for outside companies while still in school for $15 an hour. Now keep in mind that the minimum wage in 1988 was $3.35. Tony saw a problem though. He had to go to class, imagine that, which cut in to his programming work capacity. No worries. He worked out a few side deals with his teachers. If Tony could keep his grades up as to you know tests, assignments, etc., he could miss classes and stay in the computer lab making that $15 an hour. And he would keep up his end of the bargain because Tony's grades were good enough for him to gain entry into Harvard University. After graduating from Harvard, he worked briefly at Oracle Corporation but Oracle couldn't overcome the founder blood that was piping through Tony Shea's veins. Of course, not hardly a company on the planet can overcome that huge obstacle. Tony would leave Oracle in five months to start a company that eventually became Link Exchange. The company would eventually focus on internet advertising. A year after its founding, Link Exchange would receive a $3 million investment from Sequoia Capital. About 30 months after its founding, Tony Shea and his partners would sell Link Exchange for $265 million to Microsoft. Not too shabby, right? Well, Tony Shea was only just getting started. After forming a company named Venture Frogs with his business partner, Alfred Lin, Tony would be on the lookout for investments in other startups. 
As fate would have it, the Venture Frogs team would meet Nick Swinmurn in 1999 after Nick couldn't find the right size and style shoes at his local mall, he decided to start a company called ShoeSite.com, and Nick was looking for investment. At first, Tony Shea called ShoeSite.com the, quote, poster child of bad internet ideas, end quote. But after giving it some thought and realizing, as Nick shared with him, that the U.S. shoe industry was a $40 billion market and already... 5% of it was being sold through paper catalogs. Tony and Venture Frogs was in, with an initial investment of $500,000, which eventually would grow to $2 million. Shoesite.com would quickly be renamed Zappos, a play on the Spanish word for shoes, Zapatos. 2000, of course, though, was the dot-com stock crash. Gaining additional investment was really tough and the business model was still being proven. At the time, Zappos would take the order online and then would rely on manufacturers to ship direct to the customer. Tony would continue to become more infatuated in the business and was spending more and more time advising the Zappos team. He would become co-CEO with Nick Swinmurn in 2001, and in 2003, Tony Shea would become CEO outright. Said Nick at the time, quote, we've gotten to a point now where the CEO's responsibilities are mostly going to be financial, and I don't need the title for my ego, end quote. Nick's very practical humility would pay off well. Do you think he realized at the time just how big of a move he had made? By 2001, Zappos had $8.6 million in gross sales, but big changes were ahead. A massive shift was made in that Zappos would begin to hold its own inventory, which would give customers a bigger selection and better and more reliable service. Now, while this had a huge impact on sales as they took off like the proverbial hockey stick, the big adjustment also had a tremendous impact on operations, especially in scope, capacity, and complexity. At first, the Zappos team chose to outsource the warehousing and fulfillment operations. That did not go well. In fact, it was an unmitigated disaster. Tony Shea brought it back in-house and determined that if a company was going to be an e-commerce leading retailer, the organization would have to own the warehousing and fulfillment operations. Zappos would build a partnership with UPS in 2002 and would position an 825,000 square foot warehouse near the UPS Worldport Air Freight Hub in Louisville. This partnership would help ensure Zappos orders would ship in an expedited manner. In 2003, the company implemented a 365-day no-hassle return policy after experimenting with a 60-day return policy. As long as the shoes were in like new condition and in the original box, customers could return them. In 2004, Tony Shea would consult with his Zappos team and decide to move the company to Nevada, where they could be in a better position to hire talent, especially customer service talent. And they'd need it, as Zappos instituted a 24-7 customer service approach. The company would hire five to 10 new customer service agents every two weeks. All told, these four moves, one, building out its own inventory, 
to insourcing, warehousing, and fulfillment, and building a shipping relationship with UPS. Three, instituting the most aggressive returns policy in retail. And four, building a talented army of customer service agents. Well, these big decisions would ultimately allow Zappos to start to build its key differentiator, world-class customer service. And the numbers would show it. By 2004, the company had reached $184 million in gross sales. I mentioned hiring a ton of talent earlier. Let's talk for a moment about Tony Shea's unique approach to hiring and managing talent. But first, this quote from Ali Partovi, a former Tony Shea business partner. Partovi said this about Tony, quote, Tony often proposed the opposite of the conventional approach and astoundingly, he was often right. Tony's creativity was unrivaled and uncontainable. Ideas came to him effortlessly and continuously, from quirky asides to brilliant strokes of genius." End quote. Now, about talent. First, Tony Shea would implement a two-interview approach to all potential hires. The candidate would have a business interview focusing on talent and skill sets, and then the candidate would have a culture interview determining fitness for the company culture. Secondly, starting in 2005, all employees would first go through customer service boot camp, which culminated in every employee, regardless of their role or function, to pick, pack, and ship orders. Learn by doing, and learn to respect those that do the hard work. And thirdly, Tony Shea had a two-word employment policy at Zappos and it was critical to the company's success. Tony and the Zappos team did not want to employ team members that didn't want to be there. The policy was called the offer, and it was simple. After a week or so of being on the job, Zappos employees were told that they had a choice to make. They could continue working in their roles if they were happy, or they could quit. And better yet, Zappos would pay them $1,000 which is reportedly now up to a month's salary. As it has turned out, on average, less than 1% of employees have taken the paid separation option. And better yet, it's built an army of team members that wanted to be at Zappos. By 2006, Nick Swinmurne chose to leave the company. As he'd later say, quote, the company is running itself. I don't need to be here, end quote. Also in 2006, Zappos would consult with all of its employees, referred to as Zapponians, to implement its official core values. The number one core value would be instilled and remains to this day, deliver wow through service. By 2007, Zappos would not only hit $840 million in gross sales, $840 million in gross sales, but the company also had branched out to a wide variety of products other than shoes. Also in 2007, Zappos would offer free overnight shipping, another advantage of having their warehouse adjacent to UPS Worldport. One other big development for Zappos in 2007. After over 2,000 emails, 1,900 phone calls, scores of meetings, tons of blood, sweat, and tears to land the biggest name in shoes, on March 21st, 2007, Nike finally came on board. So you could say 2007 was a transformational year. Tony Shea would say, quote, 
We focus on making sure we have a great service-focused culture. If you get the culture right, then a lot of the really amazing things happen on their own. But then came 2009. On Wednesday, July 22nd, 2009, Tony Shea would send an email to all employees. Its opening lines included the following quote, Over the next few days, you will probably read headlines that say Amazon acquires Zappos or Zappos sells to Amazon. While those headlines are technically correct, they don't really properly convey the spirit of the transaction. I personally would prefer the headline, Zappos and Amazon sitting in a tree, end quote. After Jeff Bezos had personally addressed a key concern for Tony Shea and indicated that Zappos would be allowed to operate as an independent entity, a deal had been struck. Amazon acquired Zappos outright in a $1.2 billion deal. Despite all of Zappos' success up to 2009, there was a key factor that weighed into the tough decision to sell. Tony Shea would say, quote, At the time, Zappos relied on a revolving line of credit of $100 million to buy inventory, but our lending agreements required us to hit projected revenue and profitability targets each month. If we missed our numbers even by a small amount, the banks had the right to walk away from the loans, creating a possible cash flow crisis that might theoretically bankrupt us. In early 2009, there weren't a lot of banks eager to give out $100 million to a business in our situation, end quote. In 2010, Tony Shea would write a popular and successful book entitled Delivering Happiness. It was this book, as well as a few word-of-mouth conversations at the time, when Zappos first hit my radar as a business to study. In 2013, Zappos would move to downtown Las Vegas, where they would be the new owners and occupants of the old City Hall building. This move would begin Tony Shea's deep involvement with planning, leading, and investing in the downtown project, which was a major redevelopment and revitalization project for downtown Las Vegas. The area traditionally ran as second fiddle to the bigger, flashier, and well-known Las Vegas Strip. In 2017, Zappos for Good was created to amplify and significantly ramp up the company's efforts at donating to the local community. As of 2019, over 1 million items, shoes and more, have been donated to various causes. Of course, all along the way, as with any business, there have been missteps. For example, about 18% of all Zaponians left the company in 2014 after Tony Shea implemented a form of decentralized management called holacracy. It was meant to more evenly distribute decision-making and create really more of a level playing field for all team members. But the move has largely been viewed as a failure, and it seems that Zappos has discreetly dropped the initiative in recent years. However, all told, Tony Shea and the Zappos team made a lot more of the right moves and became a pioneering company with an incomparable dedication to both a customer experience and company culture. But dedication, as we all know, isn't good enough. Zappos has proven to possess the keen ability to GSD, get stuff done, that is to impressively execute, to obtain meaningful, if not eye-popping, bottom line results. 
On August 24, 2020, Tony Shea officially retired as CEO of Zappos. And in a cruel twist of fate, just three months later, he passed away at the young age of 46. All we know, as of the time of this podcast recording, is that Tony Shea was injured in a house fire in New London, Connecticut on November 18th. While rescued by emergency personnel, he succumbed to his injuries nine days later. I tell you, I was stunned when I saw the news. Many were waiting to see what big splash, what tremendous project or initiative that Tony Shea would leap into next. Unfortunately, he won't have that opportunity. But what we all can take the opportunity to do is to learn from and celebrate the legacy that Tony Shea has left behind. An enormous legacy that will impact the global business community for decades to come. An even bigger personality that never put himself on a pedestal, always brightened every room, and consistently made people feel good about their contributions and taught them to value their point of view. In the words of his former business partner, Ali Partovi, quote, Tony taught me that business isn't about making money. It's about helping others. He put other people's interests ahead of his own, and that was the secret to his success, end quote. Rest in peace, Tony Shea. Your bright light and extraordinary impact will surely be missed by all. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. Those were some of the stories that stood out to us, but what do you think? Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and share your comments there. We're here to listen. Hey, good news though. Here's a special offer to our listeners of this podcast. If you join our LinkedIn group and comment on our November 29th post about the legacy of Tony Shea, tell us what one aspect of his career that you found to be the most impactful We'll send a copy of Tony's book, Delivering Happiness, to the first five commenters. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we have. On that note, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnow.com. Friendly reminder, you can now find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We'd love to earn your review. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Be like Tony Shea. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.